But Genesis chapter 13 is where we find ourselves today. And uh, I know you just sat down, but I would like us to stand again as we honor uh, the Word of God together as we read it here. Uh, so if you would stand with me as we read Genesis chapter 13. Beginning in verse 1, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Now... The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are in desperate need of you. Lord, each and every moment of our lives is dependent upon you and your grace alone. Lord, now as we come before your word, before this chapter and these verses and these words, your inspired, perfect, inerrant word, would you speak, Lord, as you promise to do according to your word? Would you help to guard us from error? Would you keep our minds from distraction? And would we be changed by the power of your word before us and the spirit of God within us? Lord, if there's anyone here today who's not yet repented of their sin and turned to faith in Christ, would today be the day of salvation. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable before you. And it's in your son's holy name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. We come to chapter 13, and right away we are reminded after the Egypt narrative at the end of chapter 12 from last week that God has spared Abram's life in spite of the mishap there in Egypt, in spite of his fear and his, his plotting and his scheming, God has delivered him. And once again, Abram is allowed by the grace of God to wander there in the promised land into the Negev. 
We also see here right away in the chapter that God has blessed Abram. There in verse 2 it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. This is coming out of Egypt as Pharaoh, even in the midst of that conflict and that, that strange story that unfolds there at the end of chapter 12, Pharaoh gives these things to Abram and blesses him, but this is a direct, in direct connection to the blessing that God promised in earlier in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where it said there in verse 2, I will bless you. And so God promised to bless Abram, and here we see that he has, he's wealthy, he's prosperous. When we think of the blessing here, we think in particular of the seed of promise, the Messiah that is to come from, from Abraham. But there is also a promise here for Abram of prosperity, and God has already brought about this wealth and prosperity to Abram, just as he said he would. And so Abram returns to the promised land, and he comes to a place that he had been before, between Bethel and Ai. If you remember earlier in chapter 12, there in verse 8, he was here before. And when he was here before, he built an altar to the Lord, which was the second altar that he built to the Lord here in this part of the story. And he called upon the name of the Lord, and he does the exact same thing here when he returns to this place. At the end of verse 4, you see it, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. When we considered this the first time in verse 8 of chapter 12, we talked about how he is most certainly worshiping the Lord, but we also considered that he is preaching, he is proclaiming to the nations that surround him of the faithfulness of this covenant-making covenant-keeping God. And so we see Abram coming out of Egypt, God delivering him, and here again he calls upon the name of the Lord. He proclaims the faithfulness of God to those around him. In verse 5 then we see Lot, his nephew, is a part of this story. And Lot too is wealthy coming out of Egypt. Lot was there with Abram and Sarai there in Egypt, and he finds wealth too. Verse 5 tells us that he also had flocks and herds and tents. And so he finds himself rich, just like his uncle Abram. But the wealth that they've accumulated has led to a problem. There's an issue that they have in the land. You see it there in verse 6. The land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. The land cannot support the amount of wealth that these two men have accumulated for themselves. But this is by the hand of God. It is a blessing of the Lord. It's also a byproduct of the strife and the, and, and the, and the deception that we see in Egypt as, as Pharaoh gives Abram these things. And so it causes that very thing strife verse 7 it says there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock this word strife is an important word to the story here it is a central theme to the story the possessions that they have accumulated have brought about this strife again it's a byproduct of Egypt but it's also by that blessing of God this word strife means dispute or quarrel or having an indictment against someone it's a legal term in the Hebrew language and it would have been familiar to the original readers of the story because this word strife in the Hebrew Meribah is the name of the place where the people quarreled against God after God brought them out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea they find themselves thirsty and hungry and so they they quarreled with God and that place became known as strife 
There's strife here between Abram and his nephew. But there's also something else that encourages or it, it contributes to the strife. And you see it there at the end of verse 7. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. This too should sound familiar to us because this is a detail that we heard earlier in chapter 12, verse 6, when Abram first comes into the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites. And so here they find themselves in a situation where uh, these two warrior tribes uh, are already laying claim to some of the land. And so this is contributing to why they cannot dwell in the land together. But they're also vulnerable to these warrior tribes. This will be the reality for the nation of Israel throughout the rest of its history here in the Old Testament, that they will have to deal with the nuisance of the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And so if Abram and Lot don't get their act together, they are not going to survive long in the land. And so Abram, in verse 8, intervenes. He doesn't want there to be strife between he and his nephew. In verse 8, it says, let there be no strife between you and me. And so he allows Lot to choose for himself where he would settle in the land. Now, some will interpret this as passive on Abram's part, as weakness on Abram's part. Here he is, the head of the family. He has every right to choose for himself the best portion of the land. And yet he yields to Lot and allows Lot to choose first. And again, some will see this as weakness, passiveness on Abram's part. I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that qualities like meekness and generosity and peace-seeking are oftentimes seen as weaknesses in Western culture. But this is not weakness on the part of Abram. This is generosity. This is mercy that he's showing. And the text helps us to see that this is generosity in which Abram is operating out of. We see here in chapter 13 that Abram again is walking in faith. So at the end of verse 4, he calls upon the name of the Lord, just as he did at the beginning of the story in chapter 12. Later, we see that he's going to build an altar to the Lord, just as he did twice in the beginning of the story. If you remember last week in Egypt, there's no mention here of Abram operating out of faith. We see him making the most of a bad situation in his own power. We also see him operating out of fear. But here, the writer makes it clear that Abram is walking in faith. And that gives us a hint to the fact that he's being generous here, but also, and we'll talk more about this later, we, we, we see a difference here in how Lot responds to the situation in Abram. Look at verses 10 and 11. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. So verse 11 says, so Lot chose for himself. Contrast that to what we see later in verse 14, where God tells Abram to lift up his eyes and to look and to see the land in which God will give him. So Abram isn't operating out of weakness here, but he's being generous, he's being merciful, he's seeking peace, what is best for his family. We're reminded here for just a moment that it is good for God's people to be generous and merciful, to seek for peace with brothers and sisters in Christ. We can and should be able to set aside our preferences and things that are rightfully ours for the sake of others and for peace and for what is best for them. 
So Lot looks at the land there in verse 10, and he chooses the Jordan Valley based on one thing. And you see it there in the text, verse 10. It was well watered everywhere. The Jordan Valley is the best portion of the land. The text tells us that it's like the the, the Garden of Eden itself. It's like the land of Egypt. So remember, the famine happens. Where do everyone in that part of the world go? They go to Egypt because it is well watered. And so he looks with his eyes. He sees that it's well watered, and he takes it for himself. And the text tells us that Abram then takes the land of Canaan, the less fertile portion of the land, maybe even the less desirable portion of the land. But the writer cues us into something here that's going to be really important later in the story as we continue to walk through Genesis, and that is the city of Sodom. Notice where Lot goes and settles, where he pitches his tent, as far as Sodom. Now, those of us who are students of the Word of God, we know where the story is going. We know what happens in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the original readers would have understood this as well. And so the writer here does some foreshadowing in verse uh, verse 13, where he says, The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. He also mentions Sodom at the end of verse 10 by letting the reader know when this takes place. This interaction between Abram and Lot happens before the Lord, Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, this will be an important detail later in the story, but here the writer is in in foreshadowing Sodom and Gomorrah and mentioning the timing of this particular story to the reader to interpret when this happened. The writer is highlighting for us what happens when we walk by sight and not by faith. And we'll touch on this more in a moment. So the resolution comes, Lot takes his part of the land, Abram takes his part, and we come to verse 14, and the Lord speaks to Abram for the first time since the story of Abram began in chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go. And here again in verse 14, we see the same exact words, now the Lord said to Abram, but before the writer tells us what Abram, or what, yeah, what Abram hears from the Lord, he gives us an important detail. He says, after Lot had separated from him. So after all of this unfolds, the Egypt debacle included, then God speaks and he gives two commands here to Abram. First, he tells him to lift up his eyes and to look. He says, Abram, I want you to look at the land, north, south, east, and west. All that you see, I will give to you. And the nation that will come from you will be greater than the dust of the earth. This should sound very familiar with us. This is the covenant promise that God made with him earlier in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God reaffirms and reestablishes this covenant promise. The second thing he tells him to do is there in verse 17. He says, arise and walk. Very much like he told him to go at the very beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. Here he tells him to walk throughout the length and the breadth of the land. And what does he say to him there at the end of verse 17? I will give it to you. This is the promise that God made to Abram at the very beginning of the story. And here, after everything that has happened, God reaffirms the promise. So what does Abram do? He moves his tent, as God told him to. He comes and he settles there at the Oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and again he builds an altar to the Lord. He again, for a third time in the story, commemorates the faithfulness of God, the steadfastness of this covenant-keeping, covenant-making God. 
What do we do with chapter 13? What what do we take away from this story? Why is this so important? In chapter 13, we see that amid strife and uncertainty, God establishes those who put their faith in him. So in order for us to understand this a little bit more, I want us to, as we conclude here, I want us to consider the two main characters of the story. First, I want us to consider Lot. In light of this truth, amid strife and uncertainty, God establishes those who put their faith in him. What do we do with Lot in chapter 13? You remember that kid in elementary school who was kind of a loner? He didn't talk much, but he was just always there. And when you sit at the lunch table, he just appears next to you. Or when you pick your team at the basketball court, he ends up on your team. Or somehow he's always at your birthday party, but nobody really knows his name. He's just kind of quiet, just kind of keeps to himself. He's a loner. That is kind of how Lot has been in the story so far. He's just been a tag-along. We were introduced to him at the end of chapter 11 there when his father died, and we see his grandfather taking care of him. And so far in the story, he's just mentioned there as being with Abram and Sarai as they move into the promised land, into Egypt, and back into the promised land. And the first interaction we have with Lot, he seems to be a source of of conflict. He kind of seems to be a nuisance a little bit. Later on, we're going to have to continue to ask this question, what do we do with Lot? Because Lot appears to really love living in Sodom. He doesn't really seem to be bothered by the sin that's happening there, but later in in 2 Peter, Peter says of Lot that he was righteous and that he didn't, he wasn't pleased to be living amongst the sin. So Lot is is, is one character that we're going to continue to have to unpack as we walk through Genesis, but what do we do with him here? What do we do with Lot in chapter 13? Two things. First, Lot is a beneficiary of the promise. Lot comes out of Egypt, and he is wealthy. He's just taken hold of the the richest portion of the land. And so when God says to Abram in chapter 12, in the first three verses there, you will be a blessing, Lot is the direct beneficiary of this promise, of this blessing, as a kinsman to Abram. Look at the end of verse 8. What is Abram's concern? He doesn't want to have strife with his nephew. Why? Because we are kinsmen. Lot is the direct beneficiary of the promise because he is a kinsman to Abram. The truth that we celebrate this morning in this place is we too, by faith, are kinsmen of Abram. We too are sons and daughters of the promise, beneficiaries of the promise. Not a promise of wealth in the land of Canaan, but a promise of eternal life with Christ in heaven by the seed. I want you to see this with me in the New Testament. Turn with me. Hold your place there in Genesis 13. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. I want us to see the glorious truth that we find here in Scripture that we are sons and daughters of Abram by faith and why this is so important. Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 14 for just a moment. Why is this so important? Listen to what Paul says to the church in Galatia here in chapter 3 of Galatians, beginning in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith... Who are sons of Abraham. 
and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Now pause there for a moment. Don't miss this. What was preached in the Old Testament? The gospel. And it was preached through the promise, In you shall all the nations be blessed. The gospel is not just a New Testament idea. The gospel is a Bible truth. From Genesis to Revelation, it is a proclamation of the gospel. Verse 9, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. By faith, as sons and daughters of Abraham, we partake in the redemption that Christ accomplishes at the cross by becoming a curse in our place so that through faith, believing in him, that we can find freedom from sin and death and the bondage that we find ourselves in, receiving the righteousness of Christ that is imparted to us there at the cross. We are Two sons and daughters of Abraham, kinsmen, beneficiaries of the promise through faith. Faith in the seed that was to come here in Genesis 12 to bless the nations. The second thing, though, that we see here about Lot in chapter 13 of Genesis is that Lot was taken over by what he saw with his eyes. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 13. I want you to notice here what we see with Lot in verses 10 and 11. In Genesis 13, verse 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. And then in verse 11, it says, So Lot chose for himself. He lifted up his eyes, he saw, and he chose. We know that Lot later will pay the penalty for this type of foolishness, walking by sight and not by faith. And we're reminded here to not trust our eyes, but to be on guard. Not to follow our hearts as the world wants us to. Disney princesses have been preaching this to us for decades. Follow your heart. You'll have whatever... Your heart desires if you just follow your heart. You can do anything you want. You can do impossible things if you just follow your heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Not to follow our hearts, but also not to follow what the world defines as success and beauty. We don't have to give in to the temptation to measure ourselves based on what we see on social media or in the movies or in the culture. That our hope is not set in temporal, fleeting things, but our hope is set in eternity. And that is where our focus should be. As Jesus said in Mark 8, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit 
his soul. Lot here is walking in sight. But we contrast that then with the second character, and that is Abram. And we see two things here about Abram, and the first one is this. Abram, by faith, is the one who receives the promise. The promise wasn't given to Lot. It wasn't given to Sarai specifically. It wasn't given to Pharaoh. The, lot, the, the promise was given specifically to Abram there in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So just for a moment, go back with me to Galatians chapter 3. I want us to see just one verse there that preceded the verses that we just read there. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. And there it tells us this about Abram. It says, Abram believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is actually a quote of Genesis chapter 15, which we will get to in a few weeks. But this truth that we have seen throughout the first 13 chapters of Genesis, that those who are justified in the Old Testament are justified by faith alone. Abraham is justified by faith, by believing in the promise. And so in spite of the drama that we looked at last week at the end of chapter 12 in Egypt, when Abram is operating out of a place of fear, and in spite of his ongoing predicaments and uncertainty and the strife that has arisen here in the promised land, what does God do at the end of chapter 13? He reaffirms the promise. In spite of Abram's weaknesses and his dysfunction, as he walks in faith and he obeys the Lord as best as he can, what does God reaffirm? The promise, I will give you this land and I will make you into a great nation. And so, again, con contrast that with what we saw with Lot. Verse 11, he chose or verse 10, he lifted up his eyes, he saw, and he chose. But look what we see with Abram in verse 14 and 17. God comes to Abram and he tells Abram to lift up your eyes and look and see the land in which I am giving you. One commentator said this, Abram was told to do it, but Lot simply did it. Abram was waiting for God to give it, but Lot simply took it for himself. And so we see one here who is walking by sight, and we see one here who is walking by faith. What does it mean to walk by faith? Well, we can see here in these two chapters alone what it means to walk by faith. First, it means to trust God's word, to trust the promises of God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will what? Make your path straight. Abram trusted in the promise of God there at the beginning in chapter 12 and here at the end of chapter 13. But we also see this trust, we see this faith of Abram manifest itself in obedience. Not perfection. Abram has some issues, right? We saw that play out in Egypt. Not perfection, but he's walking in obedience. What did he do when God came to him in verse 1 of chapter 12 and told him to go? Verse 4, he went. 
What does he do when God tells him to arise and walk throughout the land? What does he do? He moved his tent. He is walking in obedience to the commands of his master. And so walking in faith is not blindly walking through this life, just trying to figure out moment by moment what God wants you to do in that moment. Walking by faith isn't a a spiritual encounter that you have in the woods over a week when you leave your cell phone behind and you have nothing but the clothes on your back. Walking by faith primarily manifests itself in our lives through obedience to the commands of Christ. How do we know what the commands of Christ are? What, what, what do we do? Abram heard a voice from the Lord. Does God speak to me? Will he speak to me? Dear friends, the great news for us today is that God has spoken once and for all completely in this book. He has once, spoken once and for all through his Son. And so we don't have to guess who God is and what he has done and what he's promised to do. We don't have to guess what it looks like to walk in the will of God. He's made it clear for us here in his word. And so if you want to hear God speak, read his word. If you want to know God's will for your life, read his word. And if you're jealous of Abram because he heard an audible voice from the Lord, if you want to hear God speak audibly, dear friend, read your Bible out loud. God speaks from the pages of this book. Abram, walking by faith, walked in obedience. But also, walking by faith means that we worship the Lord. Not just on Sunday mornings, but in all of life. And whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it all to the glory of God. He calls upon the name of the Lord. He builds altars to the Lord out of worship to this God who has delivered him from the pit in Egypt. Abram deserves to be dead in a grave in Egypt, but God by his grace has delivered him. And Abram's response is to give his life in worship. So we too who have been justified by faith are to give our lives in trusting the promises of God, obeying the commands of Christ, and worshiping him in all of life. But one final thing that we see here is that Abram brings resolution to strife. Remember verse 7? There was strife between them. So in verse 8, Abram said, I I, I don't want there to be this strife between us. I don't want there to be this quarrel, this dispute between us between us. But we know through just the first 13 chapters of Genesis that strife is an outworking of the fall. It is a byproduct of the curse. We've seen strife between a husband and a wife. We've seen strife between two brothers. We've seen strife between a father and his son. And now we see strife between an uncle and his nephew, and it is an outworking of the fall. It's also an outworking of Abram's disbelief and fear in Egypt. The strife that we see between these men and ultimately the strife that exists between man and God. And so when the strife arises, Abram brings resolution by generously and mercifully giving what he deserved. The best of the land so that Lot might receive what he did not deserve. We see this at the cross. Christ himself humbled himself, leaving the very throne room of God. And he came near to us in the form of a man. 
And he lived a sinless life and he died a death that he did not deserve. So that we, by faith, might receive what we do not deserve, his righteousness. We see the generosity and the mercy and the peace-seeking of Christ at the cross. We were at odds with God. We were enemies of God. There was no peace to be had. But Christ intervenes on our behalf and he brings peace to us by the blood of the cross. Do you know this to be true today? Have you put your faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior and Lord and Master of your life? Are you still in the pit of Egypt trying to, in your own power, in your own deception, and in your own scheming, find a way to appease this holy and righteous God? Guess what, dear friend? You will spend the rest of your days in the pit of Egypt trying to do that in and of yourself. But the great news for us this morning is that Christ came and he intervened on our behalf and he, he brought that strife that was there between us and God and he broke it at the cross. And now we can have relationship with God through him alone. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. That's the call of the passage. Believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. I want us to conclude by, by showing you something beautiful. Can, we got a few minutes. Can I show you something beautiful here real quick? Is that okay? I want us to see the, these two chapters we've walked through over the last three weeks, chapter 12 and chapter 13. And I want us to see just the beauty of these two chapters. Chapter 12 begins with a promise. And chapter 13 ends with the promise. We have this story that unfolds in the middle that's bookended by the promise of God. And in the middle of the story, we see some good stuff. We see worship. We see obedience. We also see some bad stuff. We see deception. We see strife. But all of that is happening in the confines of this covenant promise that God has established with Abram. This is beautiful. This is a beautiful just piece of literature that stands before us here. And so two things I want us to take from the beauty of these two chapters. First, just by looking at these two chapters over the last three weeks, we see the greatness of God's word. Just these two chapters alone proclaim to us that this is indeed the inspired, authoritative, sufficient, clear, perfect, inerrant word of God. God-inspired word that we can read and understand and consider. But the second thing that we can take from these two chapters is this, and it's the main, the main thrust of the passage today. Amid strife and uncertainty, God establishes those who put their faith in him. Have you put your faith in Christ today? So where do you find yourself in life? As we consider this portion of the story of Genesis that we bring to a close today. Maybe you're a new believer and you're just starting out your journey of faith. Maybe you find yourself in a place of worship and of praise. Maybe you find yourself in a season of barrenness, a season of famine. Maybe you find yourself in a season of fear where you're trying to do things in your own strength instead of resting in the promises of God. Maybe this morning you find yourself in the pit 
And today is the day for the first time where you confess that you are in desperate need of God to intervene on your behalf through Christ. Maybe today you find yourself in a season of deliverance. Maybe today you find yourself in a season of strife. Maybe today you find yourself in a season of establishment. Wherever you are, whatever you have done, whatever has brought you to this place today, rest in this truth. God alone is worthy of worship and our obedience. Because he is faithful when we are faithless. And he will establish and keep his covenant people. Let's pray.